You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Janelle Paulson is not your typical farm girl. She's also not your typical fitness instructor. But if there is such a thing as a typical fitness instructor who is also a farm girl, well, that person could do a lot worse than to be like Janelle. She grew up on a farm in South Dakota where she learned about hard work, project management, and community, all the things that go with being on a farm. She helped out on the farm, but her heart wasn't really in it. She wanted to be in the gym, and she participated in a lot of sports in high school. She participated in volleyball, basketball, and track. She figured out that if she prioritized her health, focusing on healthy eating and getting enough rest, she did better in sports. She competed in track and field at South Dakota State, and she spent her summers working with high school kids, helping them to get bigger, stronger, faster, and more agile. When she graduated from college, she worked with older adults in a fitness program. She also launched a workplace wellness program for KC area businesses. She still trains clients on the side and spends much of her spare time in the gym. So Janelle, welcome to Sports Connections. Hey, thank you so much, David. I appreciate it. All right, let's start with your upbringing. What kind of farm was it? So I grew up on a farm, small town, South Dakota, and my dad had about 50 head of cattle. Um, we also had chickens and some pigs, and my mom had a big garden. And then my dad farmed corn, beans, and wheat. So pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. We had a lot going on. And, you know, in small town, South Dakota, it's kind of similar to small town, Kansas or small town, Missouri. You know your neighbors and you help out. So even though that's what we did, we were involved in a lot of different projects as well with our neighbors or our cousins. So I got experience in a lot of different farming activities. You, you talked, we talked in the introduction, which you helped me uh, by giving me the background. You talked about learning about hard work, perseverance, all those things, which that makes sense. Anybody who's ever been around a farm knows that you're sore at the end of the day. I mean, that's a given. But talk about the, the community side of it and how that, not only how you learn that, but how that has helped you as you've gone on to a, a different career outside of farming as a professional. Yeah. So I think growing up, it was just a given for me. But now looking back, those life lessons that I learned are really indispensable. So you grow up on the farm and the success of the farm is important, right? That's the livelihood of our family. So you grow up as part of a a bigger picture. You know, a lot of kids grow up and their kids go to work or their parents go to work and then they come home and they can get another job or the kids can do other things while their parents are at work. Um, But when you're on a farm, you've got to help with the little things, you know, I I grew up feeding the cats and the dogs because my mom was taking care of the garden and the chickens and helping dad with the cows or helping out in the field when I was too young to do that kind of stuff. But that was still imperative because we had those animals. Um, Or I grew up, you know, being available by phone call. We had a landline. I I know that's kind of a thing of the past now, but we had a landline. So when I was home in the summer as well, all my friends were at the pool and I had to be kind of on call to help with the gate. If my dad was driving the tractor through the yard or to go pick him up. Um, I know that this is kind of funny considering that uh, I think the driving age is different in Missouri, but you can drive when you're 14, when you're in South Dakota, but most farm kids learn to drive when they're 10 or 12 or something like that. So um, I had to be on call if my dad needed a ride back home from the field for lunch. Um, I made meals for my dad when he was in the field and coming home and hungry and just doing all of those little things that even though they are little, if they're not done, it makes the work of the farmer that much harder. So 
the farmer is really the strategizer. He, he makes all of the big decisions, but the work of the family impacts that operation as a whole in so many different ways. And it's whoever's home, it's, it's whoever's doing it. We can all fill in and all of those roles. And I think the lessons that I take from that are one, the success of the community is more important than the success of the individual. If I'm successful as an individual, it doesn't really make a difference if my family can't make ends meet or my dad is in the field until 3 a.m. You know, if we're if we're pitching in, that eases the burden off of him or my my mom as well as she was helping. So maybe it, and I don't I don't mean to correct you or criticize you, but maybe the word as we think about from a sports perspective. Rather than community, it's teamwork. You mm-hmm. learn about the, you know, the if we're thinking about baseball, the starting pitcher gets the glory, the guy that hits the home run gets the headlines, but it's the 25th man, the guy at the end of the bench who comes in and pinch runs, who is just as important uh, to that to the success of the team as as the starting pitcher or the home run hitter. Absolutely, you hit the nail right on the head there. And then the the second thing that I would probably highlight with that is when you're playing on a team or as a part of a community, you have to be able to fill in. You have to be able to help out. So I'm not just the gate girl. I'm not just the girl who fed the cats and the dogs. I'm not just the girl who gave my dad rides. I had to be able to fill in everywhere. And all of my siblings did. And my dad did and my mom did as well. So being able to play all of the positions or at least help in all of the positions, catch the ball as the pitcher's practicing or, you know, rebound balls and throw them back. That That's just as important. If the yeah. shooter can shots up or it doesn't have a rebounder, it takes twice as long to get that many reps in, right? So just being able to assist or play all of the parts that are needed was really, really important. And that's a lesson that I've carried on for sure. And that's awesome, Janelle. And it's interesting before anybody asks why we're talking so much about farming on a sports show, there are similarities and, and we've already addressed some of them, but there's there are other similarities. Farming is very competitive. Now you're probably competing against yourself. You're competing against the bank that's, you know, you know, you need to sell a certain number of crops for, for that particular year, but it's very competitive and it involves intense physical training. So what is the best training exercise? You're now a fitness instructor, um, but from a, just from an overall health standpoint, what's the best training exercise you got growing up on a farm? Well, this is a pretty easy answer because the exercise is named after farmers. It's called the farmer's carry. So um, (laughs) it's a core exercise. It's a full body exercise, but you get a big dumbbell and you hold it about six inches out to your side and your other arm you can stabilize with, or you can walk along next, your arm can be next to your side, but it's core stabilization, being able to carry a heavy load on one side of your body without leaning to the side or without compromising your spine. It's a great exercise. Um, So yeah, the farmer's carry is the easy one, but this, the second one I would say is just getting your steps in every day. It's, We have so much convenience in our life these days that we really have to focus on getting outside or moving around the house. Farmers do not have to try to get their 10,000 steps in. I will tell you that. Yeah, I was going to say, and the the farmers carry, they're doing that naturally. They're not thinking about, oh, if I do it this way, then I'll build up my core strength and I'll do this. And I'll no. be a better. No, that's it's required to do. Bucket and they are carrying it in the easiest way. Their core is strong. Their arm is strong. Halfway through the walk, depending on how long it is, you got to switch it over to the other arm because your arm is tired. And they're getting that workout in without even realizing. You're right. It's it's physically intense. When was the last time you heard of a farmer having a strained oblique? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so this is a personal thing as a, as a lifelong Royals fan, their life, not, not mine. I was around before the Royals were. Can you train Adalberto Mondesi to not have uh, um, oblique strains? He's been on the DL twice this year because of oblique strains. So, so can you train him just because he's such a good player when he's on the field? Can you work with him? Sure, I'd love to. I'd love that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll walk in tomorrow and take care of that. There you go. There you, I'll, I'll give I'll give Dayton a call and tell him you're on your way. Um, so you said you told me that you liked growing up on the farm, but not completely. So let's start with the part you like. What did you like about uh, growing up on a farm? Um, I, I like that I was forced to grow and I was forced to not just grow up in age, but grow in maturity because mm -hmm. I was a bigger, a, a bigger picture. Um, I think I touched on it before, but a lot of my friends in the summer times when school was out, they spent their time at the pool and running around at each other's house in town. And I remember growing up thinking, oh, I wish I could do that. I wish I could drive into town and hang out with my friends. Legally, I wasn't allowed to drive yet. So it was limited to the farm roads, but, um, I remember wishing for that. And now as I look back on it, I spent my days in 4-H. I spent my days doing physical work on the farm. And I spent, um, I, I spent time doing something that was bigger than myself. And I think that's what we all want as adults is to be a part of something bigger than ourselves and to be challenged in that. Um, so I so appreciate that. And I so appreciate that I carry those life lessons with me. And um, knowing that you can do hard things, knowing that hard times will pass, um, that's something that you have to learn through experience, right? Um, but I do have an adventurer's soul. I love new experiences. I love new things. I love to be in the action. I love to be with a lot of people. Um, so while the serenity of the farm is something that's beautiful and I love it when I go back, um, I love to be with people and I love to be in the mix of things. So I was always hoping to get into town. I was always waiting for the next ride from the neighbors to go to the gym or different things like that. I took my opportunities when I could get them. So that kind of answers the second part of that question is what you didn't like is maybe the social interaction. And Janelle, you and I have talked about the fact that we are wired so similar, similarly in that we get our energy from people. Now you've got, you've got siblings, you've got your parents. I don't know if you can get energy from cows and chickens and pigs, but you've got some, you've got some of that, but the, just the meeting people, that's why you're good at your, at all of the, the roles you have both in sales and as a fitness trainer, because you get your energy. So is that the biggest thing that caused you not to stay in the family business? Yeah, I, I think that the need for adventure and the need for more interaction with people and to be challenged further, really. Um, I think we all kind of had this understanding that my brother would go back to the farm. Um, so knowing that um, there was more out there and I grew up, all of my family was from South Dakota. I've got five aunts and uncles on one side and four aunts and uncles on the other side. And they've all got two, three or four kids. And I was one of the youngest cousins and they all landed somewhere close to South Dakota. A couple of them moved away, but I always knew that the world was a big place, but I had never experienced it. And so I think that deep desire to adventure and see the world um, was uh, just burning for me really. That's a, that's a great way of, of putting it. When I, when I first met you, you talked about how important mental fitness is and it, that it's just as important as physical fitness. Where did that philosophy come from? Yeah, I think 
And this can tie back to my experience on the farm too, with my experience in fitness training. And um, my little sister specializes in mental health as well. She's going to school for that. But the mental side of a physical challenge is the hardest. You hear people say it all the time. The hardest part about going to the gym is stepping out your front door, you know, getting in the car. Really, that's true. Once you get there and once you start, it's much more natural and people are able to figure it out, even if it's not a super comfortable thing. But in our, as people, we are capable of so much more than we realize. And I talk my clients through this all the time. I, I just got done with a training session this morning, actually. But my client, I've been training with her for two years. Um, she's a middle-aged woman. And she is such a cool woman, but she's so strong. She's so agile. She picks up on exercises so easily. She's really a natural athlete. Um, she's got that functional foundation and she just needs a little refinement. And But really for her, it's the mental side that she needs help with. She needs that reminder that when we started two years ago, she could not do a kneeling push-up. Now she's doing full standard push-ups. She could not do a body weight squat, you know, without getting fatigued. Now she's got 50 pounds of weight that she's doing squats with. And she gets frustrated with herself whenever we start a new exercise. And she can't get past that mental block of, this is really hard for me. This is hard and I'm frustrated that I'm not good at it. And why am I not doing better? Because last week when we were doing an exercise that I knew, I was doing it so much better. And really that mental block that she experiences when she tries a new exercise and I tell her, I, I, I outline it. I take a step back and I say, her name's Kelly. I say, Kelly, take a step back. Let's look. Even though you might not be perfect at 50 pound squats, remember two years ago when you couldn't do a body weight squat? Or even though these standard pushups are hard, remember you couldn't do a kneeling pushup two years ago? Or remember two months ago, whatever your progress was two months ago? And I say, take a look at that. You should be proud of yourself that you get to try this new challenge. You have mastered the past level and you get to go on to the new level of this fitness training experience. And when I really stop her and take that step back with her, she gets that moment to be proud of herself. She gets that moment to realize she has prioritized herself and her fitness for the last two years, twice a week. She rarely misses. And that's something that she really truly is proud of, but she can't get that past that mental block on her own. And I think all of us experience that to some degree. We're, number one, we're afraid to start because we're not going to be good at it. Right. And number two, we're frustrated when we're not good at things, whether that be a new sport, whether that be a new job, a new skill, a new hobby. It is hard to start new things because you're not good. And the more you practice, the more you get to advance to that next level. You know, you get to go to the majors eventually, yeah. but in the time, hopefully your version of it, whatever it may be. But um, the mental side of fitness, from my experience, is the most challenging side. It's interesting. That's not just in physical fitness, not just in, you know, what you're doing on a daily basis with training people. It's, uh, it's true in all sports. I mean, baseball philosopher Yogi Berra said 90% of the game is half mental, which mm -hmm. I always said that means it's somewhere between 45 and 55% because we're not sure what that other 10% is. But actually what he's, Yogi, and you're not old enough to remember who Yogi Berra is. And, and I tease you about that frequently, but Yogi Berra was fam famous for saying things like when you come to the fork in the road, take it. And if Casey were alive today, he'd be rolling over in his grave. And he's, 
really famous for these malapropisms. But what Yogi was talking about with Major League Baseball, he's a Hall of Fame baseball player, is the, the mental aspect is, 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 is as important, if not more important, than being able to hit a fastball or catch a ball or whatever. So that's true in any kind of sports endeavor, not just in the physical fitness where the hardest part is stepping out your front door. And I think when you, I mean, hindsight is always better, right? So I think about my experience with sports in high school and um, I, I did play, I, I played, I competed in track and field in college. And when I was in high school sports, I looked back at my middle school sports and I thought, I would have taken advantages of more opportunities. I would have, I wish I would have taken advantage of more opportunities that I was given. You know, I was probably quicker than a lot of the girls on the court. Um, I wish I would have learned to drive more, or I wish I would have um, learned to pass in a different way, or I wish I would have done those things. I, I love basketball. That's probably my favorite sport with a ball, but um, I, so I reference basketball a lot, but then in high school, I was always too afraid and so then when I got to college and I was competing at a collegiate level, I realized this is such a cool opportunity for me uh, that I get to compete at this level, even though it's hard, yeah. it's such a cool opportunity. And I looked back at my high school experience and I would go back to high school games. And in hindsight, I would say, wow, I probably was more athletic than a lot of the girls on the court. I wish I would have taken more shots. I wish I would have been more confident in myself. I wish I would have shot more threes when I was open, but I wasn't ever, I was never confident in my three point shot. I, I was much more of an assist girl, which that served me well. We had a, a good team. Right. Um, we were fortunate to make it to the state tournament all four years of my high school career, but it, I, I had so many opportunities, you know, my season was extended as we made it to the state tournament every year. And I had good players on my team that if I did make a mistake, they could probably pick up a little bit of the slack, but I was so afraid of missing the shot or missing the drive that I didn't do it. I thought I, I have those other players on my team. They will score, you know? And as I look back and, and I think, wow, I wish I would have just taken more of those opportunities. But for me, it was that mental block that I couldn't get over. Yeah. If I thought, you know, I'll practice, I'll practice these shots in the gym. And then a few times in the game, it feels different in a game. You know, you get the first couple nervous ones out of the way, then it becomes a lot more natural. Right. But I never got past that mental block of getting past it in a game. Um, so like you said, in all sports, that mental block of believing in yourself and believing, you know, you think, what if I don't make it? But what if you do, right? What if yeah. you're really good at three-point shots and you never even tried? And I want to get this back to farming because you and I have talked uh, when we first set up this interview, we talked about the fact that the mental aspect of the physical side of farming, I'm not probably saying that right, but the mental aspect of the physical side of farming is neglected. And you, and you mentioned your sister is, in training in college to try and uh, try and learn how to uh, deal with that. But talk about the mental aspect of farming and, and why, you know, maybe I'm sure your dad grew up farming and so it probably comes second nature, but there's yeah. still maybe a fear of failure, a fear of trying something new. Why is that so important in the farming industry? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that mental health is being prioritized uh, across the board um, recently, I would say in the last few years. And so we're taking a look at a lot of different professions and realizing um, where we need more support. And really farming is a huge 
it's a huge job. You know, you're running an entire business oftentimes by yourself or with the support of your children and your wife or whatever your family structure looks like. Um, So I think as far as the mental side of it goes, like you said, a lot of farmers grow up in it. So they just grow up learning on the job. And when you learn on the job, you just learn whoever did it before you, you learn their habits. So if you had bad habits, you probably pick them up as well. A lot, most farmers have such great habits, but you know, we all have bad habits and getting down on yourself and having that fear. Your, your job is determined by the weather. You're imagine not being able to make plans because you don't know what the weather is going to be like. That's something that a lot of us, especially as we live more urban lifestyles, we can't really fathom that we make plans ahead of time. We make reservations for hotels. We make dinner reservations. Farmers have to be on the go. So you have to be adaptable. So having that adaptive lifestyle doesn't necessarily, I think there's a disconnect sometimes between urban lifestyles and rural lifestyles because of that. We live our lives so differently and there's just not an understanding. So being in that adaptable, um, unpredictable lifestyle, that's hard. That weighs on your mind when you feel misunderstood. Oftentimes you see things in the media um, that people are saying things that they don't understand what it's like on the farm. And that's, that's, probably not the fault of the people that don't understand. They're talking about their experience. But when you see that, that takes a toll on your mind. Um, The physical aspect of it, like you said too, you're out in the heat. You are working all day long. You're taking minimal breaks. Your breaks are to be in the tractor or to be in the pickup. And it's for short amounts of times or in the tractor, it's long amounts of times. And that's physically straining to when you're used to moving a lot to be in, in a piece of machinery for long amounts of time. So there's challenges all across the board. And when we talk about the mental aspect of that, um, what my sister is focusing on in her graduate degree is rural mental health counseling. And it's something there haven't really been resources available until recently. And um, these farmers that are experiencing these huge mental strains of running an operation on their own at the discretion of the weather in their area and being misunderstood by an entire nation of people um, that wears on you, especially when the season to do it is from springtime to early fall. So your production of your year is jam-packed into six months, if even. And you're, imagine trying to make your entire years, not your entire years, but the majority of your salary within six months, working such long days. By the end of the season, that wears on you. When you're working 14, 16-hour days, you get short-fused. You're not taking care of yourself. You, we talk about self-care. During that time, farmers have very little of it. So I think what uh, my sister is trying to focus on in that program that she's participating in is providing resources for farmers to reach out to and call and say, this is what I'm experiencing. This is how I'm feeling. Today, I'm feeling hopeless. We all go through it. We all feel hopeless at some time. We all experience those mental blocks of what if this happens? What if I can't get past this? What if I can't shoot my shot? What if, you know, I'm, I'm the star player on the team, right? I'm the farmers are the people that have to do it. But providing resources for when, it's not if that moment happens, it's when that moment happens for all of us um, to be able to work through it and um, really just be accessible when farmers, like we talked about as social people, we like to be around people a lot. But during that season of production for farmers, they do spend a lot of time by themselves or just with their family. 
So they may feel isolated and it might not be a good year. So they may not have a good financial year. And a lot of people can relate to that during this COVID time of not, not, not feeling financially stable. Everything is up in the air for farmers until the end of the season, depending on the rain, depending on the wind, depending on if they can get the crops planted in time. Um, there's just a lot of unknowns that I think wear on the mental health of farmers. And I think we're finally starting to address it with our programs that we're implementing in our governments. You know, that's just, that's absolutely awesome. I, I never, I mean, the smallest town I ever lived in was 350,000 people. So I don't understand personally the, the, one, the appeal to live basically miles from a nearest neighbor or to, to work like that all the time. I'm, I'm really good behind a desk. But I also appreciate the fact that, you know, you see the signs when you're driving through the countryside, one Kansas farmer feeds nine, 95 people plus you. And I'm sure those numbers uh, go up and down. So I, I think it's really, really cool. And I want to ask you, since you, I mean, your sister's the one doing that mental training, but you understand it. How does understanding that mental strain of being, growing up on a farm, how does that help you deal with someone who may be coming to a fitness class or a fitness training session as an escape? How does that help you help that person? That's a really good question, David. And I've never thought of it um, as specifically as that, but you're right. I was really well equipped to deal with those situations because of my upbringing. Um, I think the most important thing is if somebody's having an off day or um, maybe not treating you entirely great or wanting to be by themselves, however they handle it, I think understanding that it's not a personal thing and that all of our days, we can all relate to the ups and downs, but the extreme ups and downs of a farmer, I think equipped me in a, in a better way. So knowing that when somebody comes in and they're having an off day, it's not anything personal. They don't hate my class. They don't hate their session with me. They don't hate the information that um, that I'm giving out. It just might not be that they're able to receive it as well as they normally would be able to. And so number one is understanding that it's not a personal thing. And then number two would be offering assistance or offering support. You know, I, I notice you're off today. Um, are you feeling weak? Are you feeling tired? Are you physically exhausted? Are you mentally exhausted? Are you um, just checked out for the day? Find out what they're coming to the, what they're bringing to the table and then adjust, you know, as, as trainers, we are, we, we know the physical body uh, more than we know the mental aspect of it. We've ha we have to learn the mental aspect. We don't get that training. We do right. a little bit, not as much. So since I had that knowing that I, I can't identify how they're feeling mentally, how a customer or a client or whoever I'm dealing with, I can't identify that. I need to ask, are you feeling weak? Are you feeling mentally tired? Are you checked out? Do you want me to just decide what we do for the day? And so then adjust the workout based on that or offer solutions. You know, I can see that you've had a really straining day. You're weak. You're sore. We're not going to use as much weight as we usually do. Or I can tell you're mentally checked out. Let's just do a hard blast workout. I think you would do well from a good cardio sweat. You know, let's just hit it hard. I, I feel like you could get some anger out today. Or, you know, you're just checked out. We're going to make it an easy workout. You're not going to have to do much thinking. No difficult exercises. No new exercises today. We're going to do things that you know and that you're good at. And you can accomplish a great workout. Um, so just those two things of identifying. It's not a personal thing. Everybody yeah. goes 
peril or, you know, hard times. And then to being able to adjust and um, make adapt the workouts to fit the client and what they're going through on that day. I'll tell you what, I, I obviously I didn't send you that question ahead of time because I thought of it as we're talking today. That may be the best answer I've ever had to any question uh, in, in the time that I've been doing this podcast. That is, that is such a perfect answer uh, to well, that question. Um, now, you, we've mentioned in the, in the introduction that you have dealt with high school kids and you've dealt with older clients. What are the, what are the, I don't know if we want to talk about what are the challenges of each or what are the, let's start with the positive. Uh, you're a positive person. You, you know, you got a great smile. You, I, you're upbeat. So let's start with the positive. What's the positive part of working with high school kids and then the positive part of working with people my age? <laughs> Absolutely. So I started off in athletic training myself. Um, in the summers of my sports in high school, I would do strength training and athletic enhancement training, and I loved the program. So in the summers of my college, I called my old program um, advisor and I said, hey, I'm looking for a summer job. And he said, I would love to hire you. So I worked with him. So I had been through the programs myself. I had experience with it. And training high schoolers is so interesting. And we'll go back to the mental side of it because High schoolers, for the most part, um, are well-bodied. They're, they're able-bodied. There's not a ton of injury. Sometimes there's a knee injury that's healed. They're not coming to us injured. You know, we're not physical therapists. Right. We're personal trainers. We're fitness instructors. Um, so their injuries have oftentimes healed. So they might have little limitations, but for the most part, it's keeping it entertaining for high schoolers. They've got quick minds. They are more worried about what their friends are doing or what's going on outside of the gym. So keeping it entertaining and making a personal connection. And one thing that I've carried on um, through my entire professional career, and I will, I'll think of this always, is there was this kid that came in, he was so quiet and he looked angry. And I had a one-on-one -on -one session with him in this athletic enhancement training program. And I could not get him to talk. I'm a talker. I like to know about the people that I'm working with. I make a personal connection. And then the session goes along so much faster. You know, you spend an hour with these kids and it's hard. These kids are working hard. So if you can provide some type of entertainment or some type of mental distraction from the physical um, obstacles that they're facing, it goes by much quicker. I could not get this kid to talk. And my boss was sitting on the other side of the room with some other kids and after my session, this kid had to go have a session with my boss. And I remember his session went entirely different than mine. He was chatting with this kid. This kid cracked a smile. You know, it wasn't like an like an overwhelmingly positive response, but he was opening up. And I remember looking at my boss being like, afterwards we talked and I said, that kid was, he, I don't know what was up with him. I don't know what was going on. And, you know, I'm only... 18 at this time. So I don't understand that life is much bigger than the hour that you're in the gym. He might've had bigger problems going on in his life. Who knows? But at the time I was like, man, what's going on? And so my boss goes, Janelle, you've got to find a way to connect. We have something in common with every person that we come across. There is something that you can connect. You've probably eaten the same food. You've probably seen the same sporting team play. You've probably played the same sport, or you've probably seen the same movie find something to connect. Everybody likes to talk about something. You just got to figure out what it is and what you can talk to them about. And when he said that, a little light bulb went off in my head because I realized, oh, they were talking about basketball. They talked about LeBron James and that got this kid to open up and be comfortable because he felt comfortable talking about that topic. And as a result, 
his physical training improved. He was more comfortable in the workouts. So being able to crack through that mental side of things with these kids and for the most part, keep them entertained, but make them feel comfortable, make them feel relatable in these workouts and also keep them on track, you know, making sure you're like, okay, they're not standing around waiting for something to do because these cause problems you know they're gonna they want they want to be busy so making sure they're moving the whole time but the most important thing is finding something to connect with these kids on and making them feel comfortable in the workouts and that they can accomplish them now before we get to the working with the adults the benefits of that i think there's one other thing that and i've done enough stuff with high school kids through through the years whether it's through church i've i've gone to i've coached at basketball camps in in poland um and dealing with the high school kids. So I understand this and tell me if I'm wrong, but I would say a majority of high school kids are insecure. They may, they may put on this big air. I'm the big man on campus. I'm this star athlete, but even the star athlete is insecure. By the time you're dealing with adults, they know who they are and they've become comfortable with who they are, whether they're the star or the role player, but the kids they have those basic insecurities. Is that also one of the, one of the joys of working with the kids to help them find who they are? Yeah. Help them be confident in their, you know, we're talking about this athletic enhancement program. So it was this hour of time, but helping them feel confident they can accomplish, they can do hard things. They can get through this hard workout. They can, and these workouts aren't just workouts. They that's helping them be a better athlete. You know, they can, play their sport. They can have that physical advantage. They can do hard things. And when they get confidence in knowing that they can do a hard thing, they feel a little bit more proud of themselves. So I would agree with you. Sometimes the busyness or the solemn faces or the unwillingness to talk that I experienced with these high schoolers, it was just as a result of insecurity and, you know, being in an uncomfortable situation. You're absolutely right on that. Okay. So now let's transition. We're not going to talk about the drawbacks. Uh, we don't have that much time and I want to keep this positive. So what are the, what are the joys that you get out of working with? I don't want to be too specific here, working with older people. Older adults. Absolutely. Um, at the core of it, the, the fitness side is the same. You know, we all need the same things. We need to be able to move. We need to be able to sit down and um, we need to be explosive and we need to be agile and strong. So at the core of the fitness, it's very similar. It's just presented in a different way with different modifications. Instead of doing a jump squat for an athlete, you're doing a chair squat for an older adult or a standard squat if they're at that um, ability. But um, the, the best part about working with older adults is seeing what people are capable of. And I just just think that's something that's a recurring theme for me in the fitness world is that we are capable of so much more than we understand. You know, these older adults come, when I was running the wellness center at the, um, the health system that I worked for, these older adults would come two or three times a week and they're able-bodied, they're injury-free. And even when they got injuries, they still showed up And they had this social group and it was the social group that kept them coming. They liked to see their friends there, but as a result, they stayed physically fit. And I will never forget my management experience there because I had people who came in and they were 92 years old, fit as a fiddle. They came in every single day and they prioritized it. They had a happy demeanor and they acted like they were 50. You know, they acted like they were 21, really. They came in and they were happy and they said, I know I just have to do it. If I keep doing it and if I keep using it, I'm not going to lose it. Right. And they knew it. 
And then I had people who were 60 years old who came in and they just had this downward energy and they acted like they were 105 and it was the energy that they presented. And it might've been a physical limitation as well, but for the most part, it was the energy and the attitude about the situation. So I think the best thing about uh, working with older adults is realizing that as we age, and it's not if, it's when, it's currently, we're aging now, right? Right. Understanding that our bodies are meant to change. We're never going to be, we're never going to fit into the genes that we fit into in high school. And that's okay. Our bodies are meant to change, especially women as we age um, and we go through different processes. We have a really hard time accepting the new stages, but once we learn to accept them, we have such a better time embracing what we're going through. And I think men experience it a little bit later. So that's why I focus on the women. And I, obviously I can relate a little bit more to that, but understanding that our bodies are meant to change and that through those changes, we are still capable of hard things. We are still able to keep using our bodies in functional ways. We are still able to overcome that mental barrier. And we're able to act like we're 21 until we're 92 years old if we want to. And if we're able to keep that mental attitude going for us. So how old is too old to, to get fit? If you're not fit, um, I'm, I'm in decent shape for a 62-year-old man, but I certainly could get in better shape. And I sit behind a desk all day. So how old is too old to get fit? I think that uh, I'm going to correct you on that. It's not get fit. It's how can I get more fit? Okay. We all start, we all start at different spots, right? So my experience is that I competed in college track and I competed in high school athletics and I'm still in somewhat of an athletic state from that. So my workouts look more athletic than they, than the standard person. Some people are, they have different interests. They're gamers. So they like to sit or they have a computer job or they're retired and they travel a lot. We all come from different areas. So to think that we have to get to a destination or we have to get fit, I think we, we have to start to deconstruct that and think, how can I get more fit or how can I be better? So instead of, um, for me, I work a desk job now too. And let me tell you, getting those 10,000 steps in is hard. So how can I get more steps in today? It's not that I have to accomplish my 10,000 every day because some days I might have a huge project and I have to get it done that day. So for that day, how can I, what's my win for the day? How can I be better? How can I get more fit that day? Can I take a 15 minute break and get, you know, hopefully 5,000 steps in for the day? And if so, that's my win. That's my more fit for the day. You don't, you don't ever have to think that you're too late to the game. You don't ever have to think that you have to be at a certain destination or a certain criteria level to start something. You just have to think, what can I do a little bit more today whether that be go to the gym for the first time in your life when you're 80 years old, or whether that be taking a walk outside or stretching for five minutes or looking up a YouTube video of how to do a, a chair workout at home or something like that, or learning a new sport, finding a new friend to play tennis with, you know, the opportunities are endless and it's going to be specific to your individual interests. But instead of thinking, how can I get to my destination? Think, how can I take my first step? How can I get out the front door? Like we talked about, what's the hardest part of working out? It's leaving your front door. So how can I get out my front door today and take that first step? Another great answer. It sounds like you've been practicing this. This is, this is great. <laughs> so you're still young. I'm not going to say exactly how old you are, but you're not yet to that magical mark of 30. Um, 
but you're not going to be young forever. So you personally, what do you do to stay fit? Yeah, it's definitely changed over time. Like I said, my experience is being an athlete. So I struggled. I really struggled. And that's another area that I hope um, that I hope to see a little bit more support in in the next coming years. I've seen a lot more on social media. But as you're an athlete and transitioning out of intense workouts, you know, we had hour and a half running practices for track. And then we had hour long lift sessions every day. So a huge chunk of my day was spent being physically fit. And to transition to doing 30 minute workouts or going on a walk for the day, that was really hard for me to feel successful in that when my comparison was that I had to be doing something for two and a half hours. But really when you're working a full-time job and if you have kids or if you have extracurricular activities that you're doing, we don't have time to spend doing really long workouts. It's just, what can we do to be better during those times? So I think embracing, um, for me, embracing the different periods of my life that I'm going through has been important and it's easier said than done. Hindsight right. is always. So, um, what I did is after college, I transitioned into 30 minute hit workouts and it was an online program that I did. Um, and I just tried to accomplish a 30 minute workout every day. And then I still stayed in touch with my track friends after I quit. After the second two years, I decided that I wanted more professional experience than athletic experience. And on Sundays, when my track friends were doing their active recovery day, so they would run two or three miles at a slow pace as an active recovery. So nothing that's um, super intense for them compared to their two and a half hour long workouts. I would do that as my workout. So they had an active recovery day. I had a workout day. It was great because we stayed in that relationship. Um, and I think moving here to Kansas City for the last handful of years, I've tried to stay with that mindset of what can I do to be better? And when I was working at the wellness center and running that wellness program, um, it was much easier because I was in the gym and I was wearing exercise all day. Um, so being sure that I participated in the programs that I put together for people and demonstrated the exercise and stayed moving all day. That was important during that phase of my life. And now as I come up of one year in my sales position, um, working a desk job and being in my car a lot, I found that the, how can I get more fit or how can I do better is really resonating with me because I'm not in the gym all the time. I don't have the 15 minute breaks to while I'm in my gym clothes, get a quick workout in. I'm wearing my dress clothes all day. So when I, you know, I take a little break, it has to be a walk or it has to be a, a somewhat um, lower intensity movement experience. So giving myself grace has been one of the most important things. And it's what I tell my clients all the time too, but easier said than done. So I do, I try to do 30 minute workouts or 45 minute workouts I'm a morning person, so if I can get up and get it done in the morning, great. If not, I'm just taking 15-minute walk breaks throughout the day to try to get movement in throughout the day. And it really goes back to what we talked about in the beginning. It's all—it's mental. It's mm -hmm. knowing where you are and not ha having an end result in sight. It's, it's the process is mm -hmm. being dedicated to the process. Absolutely. You're right. You're entirely right. And being, being proud of yourself. If you accomplish something today, if you get a certain amount of steps in, or if you stretch, or if you do something that you set out to do, be proud of it. Don't say, oh, I got my stretch in today, but I didn't get my weightlifting session in today. Say, no, I had such a hard day and I had a really stressful day at work and I still got my stretch session in. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so proud of myself. And that mental block is something that we all work through. Um, but it's very, very important to give ourselves those wins when they come.
All right. I always wrap up my interviews with two questions or two topics. The first one, and we've done a lot of that already, but talk about your family. Yeah. So I grew up in small town, South Dakota. I've got my parents that still live there. My older sister lives here in Kansas City with her husband and her um, two boys. She just had a baby. And so I love being close to them. My little sister is going to school at South Dakota State for rural health, mental counseling. And then my little brother is also at South Dakota State going for agronomy. And he's going to go back to the family farm afterwards. Um, I live here with my fiance and my fur baby, um, and we've been here for a handful of years and love it. Absolutely. And I consider my family, my friends, my family as well. I spend a lot of time with them, but that list would get too long for you. There you go. There you go. Now, the last question, and, and it's different for different people. I, I talked to, excuse me, a, a pro football Hall of Famer who, when I asked this question, he said, my goal is to live my life so the preacher doesn't have to lie at my funeral. Um so, and, and some people, they're just, they're still in the development stage. So you can interpret this, maybe what you want it to be, or if you feel like you've got one already, you could go with that. So the question is, what is your legacy? Yes, yeah, so I think that's such a good question. I think you hit the nail right on the head and that everybody is going to answer this in such a different way. Um, I think my legacy is, I would like to continue doing the little things and um, deconstructing those negative thoughts that we have about ourselves. I think that's such a powerful thing. When women realize you don't have to lose weight to wear the fun clothes, or you don't have to get to a certain point in order to go to the gym, or it's never too late to start exercising. And that, that concept can be applied to fitness. It can be applied to sports. It can be applied to the professional world. You want to start, you know, you want to have X amount of money by the time you're older, start you know, take that first step, deconstruct that negative experience and get over those mental blocks. And I hope to keep doing that with people and um, deconstructing the systems that are set in place for us to feel bad, like the wedding industry. We all feel like we have to lose weight before the wedding, or we all feel like we have to get to a certain point before we can start a new hobby, or we have to try it this many times before we do it. No, we don't. You know, let's deconstruct those negative thoughts. Let's live our lives the way that we want to live them. All right. Great answer. Janelle, I've enjoyed this tremendously and I appreciate you taking the time to join us. Absolutely. Thank you so much, David. I appreciate your time and I, I appreciate uh, the impact that this podcast has in our community. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.